All right. Well, officially, bonjour tout le monde. Welcome everyone on Zoom, YouTube, and in person to Concordia University Sports Space. So glad you could join us for While the Animated City Still Breathes, a workshop and conversation event. Now that you're settling in, folks, I'd like to remind you that we are streaming to YouTube Live from Force Space, which is located on unceded Indigenous lands here in Jogay, Montreal. And we'd like to extend our gratitude to the Kanyankahaga Nation, who are the caretakers for the lands and waters we're meeting on for their teachings about the earth and our relations. At Fourth Space, we work with our university community to mobilize and exchange knowledge by co-creating daily activities. And importantly, we also have the pleasure of helping to activate the work of Concordia Public Scholars. And today, Aristophanes Slikas, doctoral candidate in the Individualized Program, INDI, as it's known here at Concordia, will lead us through a workshop in the first half, followed by a conversation with special guest Janet Blatter, who's come in here in person to join uh, Ari for this conversation that will in part tackle some ideas related to sensing and communicating space and place via animation. That's it from me. Over to you, Ari. Welcome. So hello, everybody, again. And uh, thank you for being here and attending. And for all those who are on the internet sphere and can follow this conversation that is about to begin. Today with me, I have the pleasure to have Janet Bladder, who's a PhD, uh, has a PhD from McGill in Integrated Studies from the Faculty of Education with a focus on cognitive science. And um, her specialization is visual design-based problem solving, visual spatial and temporal reasoning and collaborative design. And more specifically, her research focuses on film animation because Janet, you, you see film animation as being a very crucial area where one can study the temporal and spatial aspects, especially in the design process in the yeah. this problem solving. Right, yeah. exactly. exactly. And uh, also you're a scholar in residence in the National Film Board of Canada. And uh, your publications and presentations at numerous film and interdisciplinary conferences. Uh, well, they push between the boundaries between the ideal, neat theoretical models and the messy world uh, of real world animation design. And I think this, uh, if I can call it contradiction, although we have to come up with a better word <laughs> when we're talking about these two maybe opposite but friendly concepts or synergetic uh, concepts uh, and i know you look into the areas of cognition and of um here of course you you're uh, you're we're, we're contrasting the the perfect models of uh, the theorists versus the messy world of the practice uh, but i find parallels between that and uh, our lives in general, it's a very broad concept. It applies, I think, to animation, the, the way, way uh, I do animation, but also the things that I depict, but also, uh, and here I think is, is my, uh, my specialization or niche that I'm trying to explore, which is the way we make film animation and the way we, we represent this physical, um, atmospheric, even, component of the city which machines probably cannot always grasp by themselves we we have an agency there uh, and I think we still do so uh, that that paradigm of ideations and practice mm -hmm. applies in my practice and I think in the in what I'm looking for and, and this is the reason why I really wanted to talk to you and have this conversation uh, here. Uh, we met in Lisbon in 2019 in the Society for Animation uh, mm -hmm. conference and um, well because of the pandemic we didn't have the chance to talk and I think this is a very good opportunity to have some exchange. Uh, I know I'm in the spotlight because it's my spotlight event but I want to shed some light also <laughs> throw it at you uh, and try to get some of your uh, experience in, in this matter since you've spent mm -hmm. decades doing this research. So the thing about cognition is that for me it's not a 
well, for a, a number of the cognitive scientists, it's not a left brain, right brain thing. It's not something that if you are creative, it's, you know, the right brain. And if you're logical, you're using your left brain. It's the kinds of things that you do. And just looking at the, your presentation, you, you'll go from your gut when you can, but you'll also stop going from your gut when you have a problem. Problem solving and problem finding is critical in what you're doing. And when you go into that mode, there is a logic behind it. It's a, it's, you can almost sense it. Um, but the other thing is that the m amount of time that it takes for you to draw something will differ when you have a problem or when you're just doing something that's simple for you. So I, I look at that. That's where I go into more closely the nature of time and what does time mean. Um, there was a movie um, called The Core. Core. It's not an animated film, but there was a character in it who was uh, kind of positioning himself against the scientist at the time. He was just a young geek. And the scientist was saying, why should I have you involved in this at all? You, I mean, I speak like 12 languages. What do you speak? And he said, I only speak one language. It's zero and one. I couldn't think as slow as you, even if I tried. My experience with animators is that they think at a speed um, that is faster than most of us. Okay, I'll shout. So the the there is a definite temporality that you have to deal with in terms of the frames, in terms of what the viewer is going to see. There is an other temporality that you have to deal with in terms of the character's logic. If you're telling a narrative, any kind of narrative situation whether it's people or whether it's trees, if there is a story behind it, it is what is the temporality of this movement versus this. And then there is the third, is what the viewer is going to be seeing, how you want to depict that. So you as the animator, the vision of the, the perceptual perception of the viewer and the logic in a, in a way, the motivation in this fictive world, you have to think about time in those three areas. And that's what, why I think that animation is probably one of the most difficult things to, to do. Yes. Because you, you somehow, um, well, you almost dissect time or you, 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 you extend it uh, and, it, and it's not the, the, the time that one spends making these frames uh, or even shooting them is not synchronous with the, the other end of where that animation will go. Exactly, exactly. That's the, that's the point. Which is the challenge and the beauty at the same time. That's right. It's the difficulty and that's where the splendor comes from. That's, that's where it is. And you have to have that kind of, I don't want to say mental um, acuity or that flexibility to be able to do that. That's not... Scientists do that also when they when they are at creating something. They are at the same. That kind of thinking is not different depending on your field, except for the nature that you have to think about it in terms of a fictive world, in terms of what what is that world that's out there that you're presenting. And there's the time that is very valuable, and it's not really visible. Right. Time is not maybe, maybe that a visible quality, but, but meaning that it's not something that people can appreciate um, or, or can perceive uh, from the outside when seeing into the world of the animator, and especially, uh, and, the, and generally the artist, that the time we, we need to spend away from 
practicing, uh, executing. Right. Um, I remember you telling me once about the the valuable time, uh, or, or the, the 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 conceptual the time for conceiving right. things, and how NFB animators would go back. And here I'm bringing the issue of materiality in the paper. That's right. That's right. Uh, how how the the they may even start conceiving on a pad uh, paper. Paper, you know, yeah. on, on, on a digital device oh, right right but but then go back to paper because that's a time that they they need and a space maybe that they need to there, there hasn't been neurologically too many, there I mean, hasn't I'm not been sure too many studies on that I mean there were some studies on what paper affords as the term is, uh, that it gives you a, a, a kind of a, a feedback, not just visual, but haptic. Uh, the pressure, the texture of a paper um, gives you a kind of a feedback that working on a, on a tablet does not. So it's not just a perceptual thing. There, is a, there are different, different things that go into your thinking when you're going in, when you're using paper. Um, and my experience is that even the most digitally um, uh, expert uh, in most of the studios that I've actually done studies in, they'll start out by saying, we don't use paper, we, we don't have any paper around. And then they'll pause and they'll say, except when we have a problem. Mm -hmm. So these are really commercial and uh, very very uh, expert animators, but they'll go to paper. And this is still happening now. Yes, because this is happening now. There's a lot of, yeah. well, I've, I've read papers and research papers. Uh, they date to 2010, 2012, right. and you right. would say, well, yeah, but technology at that time was not as advanced and it wasn't so intuitive. And now people just use pads intuitively and it, it doesn't, it's so seamless. Um, I, I'm not, of course, of the, the newer generation, so I'm not sure if it's a generational um, thing. But but it um, but as far as uh, well, making animation by hand, there is that aspect of I, I say it in simple terms, fun. Yes. Which I was having here. That's a very important element, having fun, especially in the beginning of something. It's a very important element because that's where you are. You're thinking there is no box yet. You haven't created the box. So you're thinking, to say that you're thinking out of the box is really a misnomer when you're doing that kind of creativity, that kind of play. Uh, that's what it goes back to. It's the notion of play. and. All of the work <clears throat> that I've read on design, the, they point out that the original stages in the entire process, the longest will take place in the earliest stage because it's the lowest risk. Mm -hmm. So having fun and just playing with ideas is what's going to create this enormous multi-million or billion dollar production or something that's very close to you. Mm -hmm. Yes. The <clears throat> and I mean, I, I quoted before uh, people who, who work with me know this and from conferences, um, because I wanted to base my research on existing architectural research. And um, there's this scholar, Yuhani uh, Palazma from Helsinki, who has said the same thing about architecture, about uh, the conceptual stage being um, a place in which architects still prefer to sketch. Uh, and I think the low risk factor has to do with that very coveted freedom. <laughs> but it, it's a very interesting thing because when you are in that original stage, you are still in control. As you get more and more of the animation being at a, at a higher level where you are now in the, I don't know, the <clears throat> production stage and then the post-production stage, 
the product that you are doing, the film that you're doing, takes over. And you have to, in the beginning, your early sketches work for you. And then you get to a certain point where you are working for it. You no mm -hmm. longer are the focus of it. It's the work itself because it has to survive without you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, <clears throat> the, the, the amount of technology comes with all these parameters, um, well, pre pre-designed by others as to what mm -hmm. one can or cannot do. And of course we, we play with those. And of course, when we draw and we cut and we do things with our hand, we have many limitations. And again, the limitations are what, uh, you know, the, yeah, there's the beauty in that because, right. because there, there's the economy of, of making things uh, tell more than they would. Um, but at the same time, um, as you said, I think the lines of the box are a little bit more dashed right. uh, in that stage, whereas, whereas towards the end, uh, it's very specific and yeah. you have to play with those specific parameters. You can, you can come up with some ideas uh, and, and make alterations. Mm -hmm. But as you said, it's it's the the, the percentage of movement. I guess it's is very limited. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And if you're working on something that's on a commercial, or even an independent level, you have X amount of dollars and X amount of time. So it's not. There was this saying, you know, if you give this was before computers, if you give a a hundred monkeys, a hundred years, they'll come out with a Shakespearean, mm -hmm. you know, product. Um, you have these resources, resources, but they're limited. You mm -hmm. don't have endless time to work on something. You don't have endless amount of money. So you have to know how to position the entire project in such a way where you... You, you have a, it's called a least commitment mode in the beginning where you can play and do whatever because you're not that committed. The expense hasn't gone in there. So. And would you think that the, the viewer senses that? The viewer doesn't see, doesn't see that. The viewer sees the end product. The viewer doesn't see how much how many years was spent in the making of this film. When they say the making of this film, it starts before you pick up, sometimes it starts before you pick up the pencil. It started, you know, it started years ago, possibly. It started when you were just finishing off your previous project. Um, it could take years to develop something conceptually before you start working on it. Once you start working on it, you still have a give it and take between your style and your composition and what you are actually putting down and the story. It's still a give and take, but as you get further along on the process, there's less of a give and take because you are fixed. You're, you're fixed to, you have a commitment. Mm. I was wondering whether the viewer senses any of the fun or any of the, well, it, the spontaneity. I know the word is, is uh, now may, may, may be uh, misunderstood because there may be a level of spontaneity in any medium that we use um, or, or that sense of, well, plainly the touch uh, when I do something with charcoal and I leave my, my fingerprints, and, and that, of course, has some kind of aesthetic, but also some sensorial quality uh, that the viewer, the view, uh, there, Paul Wells, I believe, uh, animator scholar, has written something about the indexality or the index um, and, and how 
uh, how how people can recognize sometimes ordinary objects. That's a different story, of course, yeah, when you have yeah. ordinary objects being in stop motion animation versus uh, a, a drawn line. Uh, but then even there, you may see the drawn line and recognize it as such that that's a, that's a drawn line. Yeah. So I think if you are an animator or a filmmaker and and if the final animation is on paper and you could see the texture and you can see the line itself, I think viewers will, will relate to what they're seeing on a deeper level. So I know it seems contradictory that if you are an expert, you're not seeing the film the way most other people see it. But I think other people can pick up on that if it's if that's part of what you want to show. That's what people have confessed uh, over and over in, in some of the films I've shown them. Uh, they have recognized that aspect and they find it, I don't know, I would say it, it captures their interest. It's kind of like watching, it's like kind of a, like seeing like just your just your you know your talk your demonstration over here it's like watching a mag magician reveal the secrets to you i felt like a magician at some point it's true <laughs> <laughs> because the the yeah. pauses uh and and all these uh well uh, there, there was a. I had the sense that I was, I was hiding something from other people, that I was going to reveal something, uh, that I was going to surprise them, pretending that I don't know. But it's true that I did not know. <laughs> but that's part. But we don't know. There's nobody who. I mean, it, I've. That's one of these contradictions that that you know that I'm I'm struck with is how you are very humble about what you're doing and saying, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. Um, but you do it anyway. You have that strength to do it anyway, not to give up. Yes. Um, and, and you know how there's that saying that if you love your uh, medium or your art, um, you're like the violin player who has to have his violin under the pillow and sleep mm -hmm. with it all the time. And I think that's one of my challenges that maybe because I, 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 I do a lot of interdisciplinary work. Um, well, good it, luck it, sleeping with the computer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, or the light table. Yeah. Or sleeping on the light yeah. table. Uh, but all this to say that the, um, the the commitment or the taking charge of these projects because animation is so labor intensive, and there's there's a commitment beyond the sketch. So uh, mm -hmm. yes, a sketch is is something that you do for the moment, That's but when you decide to start exactly. place cutting things, placing them, organizing them in a story. And, and, and the execution itself, uh, as people probably got a, um, an idea, um, in, 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 which I did in, in the most rough way possible, but if I was to, to be a bit more meticulous about it, um, it, it's a big deal. So, so it, takes, it, it takes that discipline to, 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 to persist. Uh, and and, and I, I say discipline with courage, but they're not contradictions. No. I think it's the same kind of, uh, like to have the courage to be disciplined. That's right. That's right. Um, but the other thing that I was thinking about, and this goes to your animation and your history of, from architecture, um, what did your background in architecture, do you think gave you that benefits you as an animator? Yeah, yeah that's very, a large part of who I am and what I do and uh, well at a very first level is the appreciation of the built environment and the understanding of how uh, architecture affects the way we live the meanings that we find in our lives every day 
um, the and the quality of life and the and you can you can even go further and and say the uh, the senses that we mm-hmm. that we experience in a, in a in every city is different and and sometimes we don't even have words to explain what is different about this city and 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 we do try to express but it's never easy to express i think it's almost impossible to express exactly what it is about a certain place or what it is about a certain city uh so so these are all things that i had in mind as an architect all the time and uh architecture as a study has been a very disciplining (laughs) or very um detail oriented work that went against the grain of my personality at the beginning i think i had to become more disciplined uh and 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 detail oriented in in some aspects i'm not saying that i'm not detail oriented in everything but but i think in in some aspects that that definitely and the problem solving that you mentioned before is something that uh, most people who finish architecture are drilled into um, novel problems all the time, new parameters, new problems, new solutions all the time. There is a tendency to think you're going to reinvent the wheel all the time, which I don't agree with, <laughs> uh, or, or the the sake of doing something because it was never done before, which I'm also skeptical about. Yeah, these two extremes. Yeah. Um, and um, both architecture, most people might not see that as evident, but, but architecture is temporal, not as designing maybe, but itself as yeah. object and as experience. And we live uh in, in in we live in the buildings we experiencing them we move in the buildings in a different in different ways different speeds different there's so so much that the linear technical drawing mm-hmm. cannot express mm-hmm. and i think one of my frustrations was that distance between the this type of architectural drawing and the outcome mm-hmm. and also the the limitations of the requirements of building which uh, alter the the pure ideas that one can have when i say pure ideas i mean uh, pure ideas of um uh, uh, about about that that I think animation allowed me eventually to express stories about architecture, uh, that that element that I wasn't able to, and maybe animation is a medium par excellence to express Mm -hmm. animation in the end that may be incorporated, and I think it does already in architecture schools. Film has been employed Mm -hmm. uh, more and more. Um, And uh, and yeah, but but, but I think going to animation for me was also a step towards uh, a more innocent place where I can be more free to 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 think about spaces that don't have the constraints of technicalities but try to somehow talk about the essence of place as a human experience so your work it just dawned on me while you were talking it just it just hit me um how your your work and and goes into this group of work where the animator is actually a philosopher um, and coming out with philosophical definitions, and I'm using the term definition very broadly, on essential concepts that people are still trying to grapple with. Time is one of them. We don't know what time is definitively, either from a scientific point of view or a perceptual point of view, it's a very, very ambiguous term that we all seem to know what it is, but there isn't one overarching, this is what time is, either in terms of temporal duration 
or temp temporal sequencing? Um, can we think about time without an object being there, for example? All of those issues that I'm playing around with, you know, as a scientist, I'm realizing that there are animation can actually help you question those or inspire questioning the essence of what what temporality really means. Mm. So thank you for making my life more difficult. That's that's well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's mutual. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and, and, and time, and um, and I think also the the perception of time as as something ha that has taken um, has has worn a surface, has war, or or has um, you know can, can be read in 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 the things that we animate or in the cities that we live in. Um, what we call patina of time, but it could be also just the 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 consciousness of of past life and past people, and and that's that's also a time, right. which which I think, in in the handmade medium, somehow it it tries it, well it evokes it it evokes it in in a, in a certain way because the, the there's that m mortality of of the well of the of the physical things that we use, or, or if not mortality, I would call it yeah. better, uh, you know, the, the decay. Yeah. Yeah. You, could you, could, you could decide to either emphasize that in an animation or extinguish that in an animation. And you are, you are actually exposing it and bringing that out. That's, um, but um, so you use the computer, you're using Dragon. Um, how do you view where we're heading, like with AI? Mm. How does, have you thought how that would impact you as an animator? Yeah, I somehow avoid the whole discourse because I, and, and you might scold me for this, <laughs> but I, <laughs> um, I'm resistant to 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 this type of let's say progress, but maybe that's just out of fear, or, or just uh, of what I what I what I value or what I what I choose. I, I think I think technology is something that opens possibilities, and every time I see a possibility that can enhance mm -hmm. what I already do. Of course, uh, it's something that I want to try, but at the same time, um, I, I, I don't think it should be an inevitable or in an inevitability uh, that 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 technology, for example, that the technology is is some kind of being that has a life in its own and it's just going, and we have to follow it. Right somehow we, we must have some kind of control over that technology and, and having technology taking over may uh, add all kinds of conveniences in our lives. Uh, we can have um, a very highly technological environment where life is easier, but I'm always thinking whether life, when is, whether, whether it's best to have an easier life. I'm not even sure if that's something that I want. Mm -hmm. um, because usually um, what, what is convenient is not always meaningful to me. Right. And um, the, these, these struggles or this messiness that you were referring before or these inconvenient situations that allow for all kinds of um, spontaneous but also hazardous or, or um, unpredictable situations that the city can offer mm -hmm. uh, well that that's something that I want to live with mm -hmm. and I as I want to live with all the risks or the open-ended uh, well you said low risk but I mean the yeah. the, the, the the realm of possibilities of of, uh, of these handmade techniques which of course 
um, yeah, AI can do miracles, but but it's not really where when I say miracles in terms of of uh, executing um, hyper realistic uh, maybe animation or simulating realities that uh, we can live, um, but but um, in the end. I'm not sure if that's something that we want or, or if it's something that um, I'm, I'm, I'm willing still to abandon. Uh, and I think that's why I called this uh, uh, talk uh, while the city still breathes right. <laughs> because I am, I'm almost afraid that it's, it's not going to be breathing. <laughs> and that's, yeah. It also dawns on me looking at your work um, there's something that you're learning from actually doing all of this. I mean, yes, you could feed this into, well, maybe it will be chat GPT-5, not 4, as we have. But maybe chat GPT-5 will have the animation where, you know, you'll put in your, um, your code and out will turn the animation. Um, when you are doing your work, you're learning something. It gets passed forward to your next animation. I don't know whether that's going to happen if you can just code a computer to come out with something and then just give it you know, to the producer. The producer will have it done and mm -hmm, that's it. Mm -hmm. Even if it is the best thing on the planet, the, the idea is you're not going to be learning there is something about that play in the beginning and the problems that you have to find and the problems that you have to solve, which is encouraging you to do better on the next one. Even if the, even if the first one was actually brilliant, the better is a very internal, it's an internal feeling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it's cumulative. Yeah, um, and it's it's something that it's as cumulative as the traces on you know in in, in you know I, I try to make the the parallel between the, the physicality or the humanity of of uh, making things by hand, and I know it's not completely handmade. It's a there's a hybrid component. Uh, it's a, there's a technological or digital component, which is, you know, the, the hybridity. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I'm constantly seeing, uh, just as in the early 20th century, cinema was seen to be a, a, an ideal medium to express the modern city. Uh, well, the, the same way uh, animation uh, is an ideal medium, I guess, to express not only the city, but, but that tactile aspect of right. the city. And I know that uh, when I say handmade animation, it's not exclusively handmade, it, there's a, but there's an important handmade component. And um, I'm looking into ways into which this uh, handmade component can make us appreciate perhaps the, 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 well, the built environment, the city in, in a way that CGI, you know, or, or other very uh, evolved technologies miss. Uh, so, and and the, I guess they can complement each other. I mean, every every medium or, or technology has its place. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I think with the with the advent of of um, some software that has. Uh, facilitated the those handmade techniques. Uh, I think they're very relevant still, um, and um, yeah, I'm looking into these ways of communicating that tactility, or that that um, that human aspect, or that that um, th those aspects of the city that that uh, are more. that have to do with, with, uh, with the lived experience. Right. So that leads me to another question on how do you understand the real, the physical object um, versus the abstract in your, in your work? Yeah, again, another of those seeming contradictions. Mm -hmm. 
it's um, well, the, even though uh, there is a certain reality or a certain uh, well, the, the, the dactility and the real objects that I use mm-hmm. are more real, if if mm-hmm. I'm allowed to say that, than than the virtual reality, or at least they're not virtual; mm-hmm. they're real, real. There is also um, the possibility of of abstraction. So, so the reality refers to the material, mm-hmm. or that indexical. Um, mm-hmm you know viewing uh, or understanding of, of these objects but then at the same time uh, because they they may there, there's that open box as you said before uh, I think it, it they tell us more than what they are uh, they, they they don't try to be something specific uh, they they have that they're abstract enough in their own way to to allow for our imagination to uh, to perceive uh, you know a, a greater breadth of of, uh, of, of, of um, you know area of meaning. So um, that goes into the idea of abstraction itself. I mean, very starting when we we're very young we begin to have this notion of pareidolia where we can find, we can look at a, um, an electric outlet and see a face in it. We can find faces in the most abstract situations. We can see faces, the, the moon has a face. Mm-hmm. Um, we, children who are very young can watch cartoons that are very abstract. I'm not talking about the 3D cartoons that they can see now, but, you know, just the, the outline. Outline two dots and a, you know, and a curve. And yeah. um, that idea of this abstraction is part of, I think, of what, of what all animation has. Even if it's 3D, there is something about, yes, you know, when you're watching The Lion King, I was watching it with my husband, and he insisted that it was live action. That it wasn't, yeah. He didn't, he didn't figure it out. And certainly when you're watching nowadays, if you're watching any action movie, a good percentage of it is animation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the idea of, of abstraction itself, I don't, I don't see it necessarily being extinguished because we can have more and more tools in making something that's abstract look realistic. I think there is something about thinking with abstract objects which is so embedded in us that I don't, I honestly don't believe that that's going to mm-hmm. be extinguished. What do, you, what do you think? Do you think we're going to be doing away with that or... No, I don't think so. It's just that the the handmade materials and their abstraction mm-hmm. um, deal with that contradiction between the the perception of the real and also the the openness of imagining mm-hmm. things that the you know the. the Somehow the the, the, the hand drawn or the the hand cut, um, I'll, it's a statement in itself, and it tells you that there's definitely something beyond it. Absolutely, it's sometimes it's indexed to something else, but sometimes when I watch an abstract film or when I'm po- focusing just on the inde- like independent animation that's entirely abstract, it's. I begin to find, I begin to invent a kind of a story in my head, not a hero kind of story, but just a kind of a narrative for me to articulate what I'm seeing. Mm. So when I watch, for example, Norman McLaren's 
um, works, um, especially um, be, like Be Gone, Dull Care. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. The, um, the imagery was so hypnotic, and I just kept watching how things were moving, and I was saying to myself, so this moves here, this moves here, this moves here, this moves here. So I was kind of inventing a, a narrative to it. And I just wonder whether you as an animator ever do that, where you can actually do something that's abstract, but you see it almost as a narrative. I'm putting this here, this here, this, where, this here, so that you are understanding your process differently. Um, you were doing that actually when you were doing the um, the man walking. Yes. That's that's what you were actually. I was I was struck by that. Yes. Um. Because it was it was um, it was um, forward. Mm -hmm. You know, you were mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. in a, you know, as a straight line. Mm -hmm. Not a straight line. Um, There's an undulating yeah. movement. But you went the undulating afterwards. You realized that going on a straight line wasn't... But I meant a, a forward animation instead of going from the beginning to the middle and then the middle to the end. You know, doing th a three-phase, kind of. You went straight ahead was a straight-ahead animation. Ah, yes, I didn't do, um, I didn't fill in yeah, the in-betweens, yes, yes. Yes, because then I would have to be, um, well, more scientific with my time. Okay, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, there's, yeah. there's that daring uh, of taking the step and, and doing uh, something from, well, from experience a little bit too. So, so it becomes a little bit like riding a bicycle and, and like breathing or like being, you know, th th this is something that I am attracted to in the, in this process. It, okay. it, it, it basically goes against all the things I, I was supposed to know or learn, mm -hmm. but at the same time, um, it, it's, it's, uh, I just don't want to give up being um, there, there's an element of freedom that I don't want to give up yes, exactly. Um, exactly. and, and uh, I think that the imperfections that are bound with this are something that are understood and perceived in a positive way. Yeah. Well, Janet, thank you very much for coming. Uh, I, it, it triggers me to think, um, you know, my work in terms of, uh, well, what, what it, um, well, how, can, how can research more, uh, not only the built environment, but the, the elements that I'm putting into my work, where they come from and, and how these are transmitted and, and, and w what would be an effective way to communicate architecture in, in, in my case. It's not something, well, it, it, it is something that, that comes from my experiences, but it, it also, uh, the, 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 way, the way and the method of, of work is, is really a big part of, of well, your research as well. Uh, and um, not to become too self-conscious about it, but I think, I think it is, is, uh, is good to recognize it and start looking at you know, different ways of doing things mm -hmm. when, when, when representing the city or the, the architecture. Uh, and that relationship between the visible and the material stuff that are behind before the camera captures it. And that, that's something that I would like viewers to be more aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. well, from, from my point of view, um, as a cognitive scientist, I was asked whether I want to write something that's aimed at animators 
to teach animators something about cognitive issues the way I the way I you know I practice cognitive science but I don't think animators have to learn from me I think cognitive scientists have to learn from you on how to rethink what are what are central issues in cognitive science I think you're pushing you're pushing me in, and I'm saying this in a positive sense, to think about things on levels that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have otherwise. So I think everybody over here, and, and certainly my conversations with you, have taught me more about how to think about cognitive science rather than teaching animators on, on how, to, you know, how to do their job. So. Thank you for appreciating that, and I, I promise that this is the beginning of a longer conversation. <laughs> thank you. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. A round of applause, folks. Thank you. Thank you. And and thank you. Thanks, everybody who's here, and thanks to you, Anna, and all the team that has been very collaborative in putting this together. Some of it last minute. <laughs> it's our, it's our, it's what we love to fault. do. Thank you. <laughs> it's our pleasure. And of course, the public scholars pro program. Amazing. Yes, and you, platform. you had some supporters in here, Ari, in the, in the Zoom as well, just pointing that out. Thanks to you folks. Uh, we will be closing up the Zoom now, uh, reminding you that you can revisit this conversation and workshop on our YouTube channel. Check out Concordia University Sports Space to find it there. And we appreciate you taking the time to come in person or online to join this conversation. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Ciao. If you have an idea for a podcast, please let us know. You can contact us by email at info.for at concordia.ca or find us on social media at CU Fourth Space. All social media is managed by Jacqueline Wexler. This episode of the Fourth Space podcast is hosted by me, Maximus Delmar, and produced by Anna Vaklavec and Douglas Moffat. Editing by myself, Douglas Moffat, and Chanel Lees Marshall. Additional thanks to Supercontinent for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.